0: In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. The only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. Resist it, and your soul grows sick with longing for the things it has forbidden to itself. Welcome back to Spearing the Classics with your host, Paul C.K. Spears. I am looking at the picture of Dorian Gray today, and uh, this one is going to be a mini-sode. We're not going to go full episode on this one just because there's not actually that much to cover. Oscar Wilde is a fantastic writer and very engaging, very entertaining, but the book itself is very short, and I don't want to waste a whole lot of uh, time with it, so... Let's get right onto it. And uh, again, thanks for listening. Hope you guys have been uh, popping the good reviews on whatever app you're listening to. I've gotten some good feedback on my last couple of episodes from some friends, so I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks, Dustin, for listening, and uh, thanks to everyone else who's uh, tuning in. Uh, so let's get to it. Uh, Dorian Gray. You guys will probably know this as... A story that, much like The Shining and other very powerful, like, mythological, tropic uh, pieces, has been parodied and done to death in, like, a variety of cartoons. I think there's a Simpsons episode about it. Like, there's all a lot of echoes of this of this story in our modern life. Uh, even, even Oscar Wilde, who wrote it, doesn't seem to believe that he himself came up with the story, but that he absorbed it uh, from, like, hearsay and different, you know, folk tales and whatnot. Um, and we'd never been able to find out uh, how it was inspired, but... Uh, So first, a few things about the author before we get into the book. Uh, Oscar Wilde is an icon, both a literary icon and a uh, gay icon, LGBTQ icon. He is um, one of the most famous queer writers in history. And it's pretty clear why. He's very, very talented. His history is also extremely full of uh, just crazy, crazy stuff that happened to him, and very raunchy, wild things and scandals and violence. And he he went to jail, and he died in poverty. And once again, we see an author that is dying in poverty. So I'm going to start keeping score on those. I'm definitely going to start like getting a little tally board, put it up on the website. So. Oscar Wilde was a unique man. He was a very, very, very flamboyantly gay guy. He was just out there. He dressed impeccably in these wild, wild, aggressive outfits, which for the time was a big deal. uh stepping outside of the norms in Victorian society, as you might imagine not the not the easiest thing to do uh, and he got a lot of blowback for it and for his attitudes around hedonism and around like the chasing the pleasures of life and all this all this stuff so Dorian Gray is one of his sort of a work that popped up in the middle of his career uh, before it really started to go downhill before he started to have problems with his lover's father and their family and their estate which eventually got him into legal trouble and got him sent to jail so before all that happened before uh, Oscar Wilde's life uh, went down the tubes he was uh, born to an Irish family uh, studied at Dublin and then came down to England and studied there Uh, rapidly became kind of a social presence. Like if he was um, a celebrity now, he'd have quite a strong following, I imagine, on social media because he's just very, very outspoken, very witty, but also just kind of like a tragic figure because he was always under fire for his attitudes, some of which were genuinely not good, some of which were genuinely uh, concerning. Um, So he had relationships with various different men throughout his life, um, part of which seems to have inspired... Dorian Gray. Uh, And Dorian Gray is his most famous novelized work. He also did some theatrical stuff. He went to France for a period and did a uh, story about biblical characters, which was not too popular from the other side of the pond. England was a little upset about him lambasting the Bible on stage, and he had an up-and-down career. So Oscar Wilde wrote The Picture of Dorian Gray as kind of an edgy celebration of hedonism, but it also carries inside of it kind of a Kind of an attitude of like, oh, well, maybe this isn't actually the best idea or the best way to live your life. Because as we learn very quickly from, you know, from just from reading the book, the character of Dorian Gray might be a little bit based on Oscar Wilde. He has the same kind of like powerful social presence. People find him very charming and funny and alluring, even though it's never really Shown why he's like that, he's a bit of a Mary Sue. He, he toes the edges of Mary Sue-dom, um, especially when he later when when bad stuff starts to happen, uh, but nothing ever bad ever seems to happen to him. So Dorian Gray starts out with a painter by the name of Basil. He is um, you know, a genius painter, uh, respected in his field, very uh, very on the cusp of the bleeding edge of art of the time. And he's speaking with a man named Lord Henry. And Lord Henry, we'll get to know Lord Henry pretty well, pretty quickly, because he is uh, the catalyst of Dorian Gray's uh, descent into depravity and hedonism and all that jazz. So Lord Henry is kind of like the one who gives him the push over into being kind of almost a Mr. Hyde type of character eventually. So Lord Henry and, and Basil are discussing Dorian Gray. Even before he arrives, he's being showered with praise, which is never the sign of a balanced character. So, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, But so we have Dorian Gray show up. Basil is immediately infatuated with him. And right away, like before we've even gotten too deep into the story, we're already being smacked upside the head with a very, very powerful, um, what you would call a homoerotic tinge to the whole thing. Hit the first conversation between Dorian Gray and Lord Henry. Lord Henry immediately starts messing with him and like upending his quote-unquote, youthful purity and introducing him to depraved ideas and, and cruel ideas. The, um, the quote I, I sounded off at the beginning of the episode is part of a long, one of many, many long monologues that pervade the entire book. By the way, this is not a book you want to read, you know, by hand. You may want to just pop this one on audiobook and let it go because it just takes a long time to get through in terms of the dialogue of the characters. The book is at least like 70% dialogue. When Oscar Wilde does get around to using basic prose description, he's quite good. Uh, but a lot of it is dialogue because it's, it's Victorian England. There's a lot of stuffy drawing rooms. There's a lot of banquet table scenes. There's a lot of this and that and the other thing. So they uh, you get a lot of that. <laughs> you get a lot of Britain sort of condensed into one, you know, a certain period in British life where... To they they bring up the concept of ennui, which is a French I believe a French word, um, which basically means boredom. It means existential boredom, but in this one, it much more seems to be the boredom of the rich and like how they amuse themselves once all the other decadent pleasures of the world have already been done, already been seen, uh, because they're looking for novelty, they're looking for you know stuff like that. So. In the very first scene, when Lord Henry talks to Dorian Gray, he has this long, long monologue about something called the Hellenic ideal, and this is calling back to a sort of Greek style of uh, of world that never actually existed. But you'll see it in like literature from this time. You'll see it in Oscar Wilde's writing, especially. He very much believed in like quote unquote going back to a uh, an old style of living, namely the fact that Greeks just kind of banged everybody and didn't really care about. The specifics of it, Um, man-to-man relationships and man-to-boy relationships were seen as a noble thing. So it's... uh it's a whole big thing. There's a lot of tangled stuff to uh, untangle with Oscar Wilde we won't really have time for today, but definitely read up on him. He's a fascinating individual. So uh, the rant on the Hellenic delights of the of the old ways, um, it's borderline, almost a little bit uh, Robert Chambers. Lord Henry says, the body sins once and has done with its sin, for action is a mode of purification. Nothing remains then but the recollection of a pleasure or the luxury of a regret. And this is a tone that is struck at the very beginning, this kind of like debauched, like rich person uh, exploring the furthest aspects of pleasure. This tone carries throughout the entire book. Uh, it's, it's what the book is about. It is the subject of the book, uh, delving into these forbidden things, these taboos. And I'm all about smashing taboos. I think most societal taboos are obnoxious and tedious and serve to hold people back rather than help push the species forward. But like these guys in Dorian Gray are a little bit on the edge, as far as like they're using their rebellious attitude towards their society as a tool, not to like change that society or improve it. You'll note that Dorian Gray never does any form of activism or tries to ever change Victorian Britain, um, but they're using it as kind of an excuse to get up to some really, really raunchy, naughty shit. So that's <laughs> that's the function of the the long rants that you see in the book so immediately dorian is knocked head over heels by this person uh, his whole identity begins to change from the moment that he meets lord henry uh, he's very um he's very captivated by him and vice versa although lord henry always seems to use dorian gray as kind of a puppet rather than an actual friend like he very much treats him lord henry is a sociopath <laughs> let's get that right out there right away uh later there's a murder and, and lord henry just remarks on how um how shakespeareanly tragic it is He's, he's not a good guy. So, yeah, this is it's, it's quite a speech. Be afraid of nothing. A new hedonism, that is what our century wants. You might be its visible symbol. And so Dorian Gray um, is sort of trying to recover from meeting this man, and he goes in to, to be painted by Basil, to sit for Basil, and there's a weird menage a trois love triangle between uh, Lord Henry, Basil, and Dorian, and it goes like this. Lord Henry is a manipulator, right? He's very clearly, from his first opening dialogue, we could tell he's he exists to pull the strings of other people. He's a debauched older man, he's seen it all, and he's always on the hunt for new pleasures and new, essentially new victims to corrupt. Um, so he's doing that to Dorian. Meanwhile, uh, Basil is crushing real hard on Dorian Gray to the extent where he seems to think that he's like a new Adonis or a new type of God that's just sort of walked the earth. Um, and all of this passion gets wrapped up in the scene where he's painted by, where Dorian is painted by Basil. And Basil paints and paints and paints and it's it's one of his best works of all time. He's, uh, everyone's very impressed by it, um, but he's immediately, he feels like his um, his passion is fully gone into the painting. Uh, so that's that's how the story starts and the painting is set the paint dries and dorian gray kind of has a weird moment of epiphany because he's like thinking about everything that lord henry told him about how brief everyone's youth is and how much infinite pleasure there is to know and he kind of falls backwards into this sort of very childish almost teenager like well i wish i was always young because then i could do whatever i want and like i'd never have to worry about being old and gross the whole book is very shallow i think that like Oscar Wilde's shallowness as a person bled into the book, but he's also doing a little bit of self-reflection. The circle never really completes, but he's reflecting on the shallowness of his relationships and the shallowness of the life that he's led and the encounters that he's had. He's writing these characters to be scandalous, you know, to offend people. Uh, he he's he's trolling essentially, but there is a little bit of self-reflection baked in. So we get that scene where um, Dorian Gray makes this sort of impulsive wish, which he considers like a prayer to God or, or a prayer to something. We sort of imply later it might not be God. Um, but so then something happens between him and the painting and he doesn't quite get it first, but there's like an energy that passes between him and the painting. Uh, and then the story sort of Immediately after we've kicked off with that very interesting scene, the story peters out almost immediately with a bunch of, like, classic smoking room drawing room scenes where characters are jawing and being witty back and forth and uh, all this and that, Uh, but very quickly we see dorian gray we see dorian gray uh falling in love with an actress by the name of sybil vane which is a great like marvel comics type of name so sybil vane is like a very uh not coincidentally a very vain actress (laughs) haha um and she is infatuated with dorian and dorian at first is infatuated with her but then like a lot of like young attractive people who are like trained almost um even now to kind of like go through people as if they were a toilet paper because they they're taught that the self is the most important thing dorian becomes bored with her and he becomes um frustrated that he 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 entered into this uh into this relationship at all he he actually gets engaged with her and there's lots of scandal that goes back and forth uh but long story short Dorian who's sort of delving deeper into Lord Henry's world of like the the underbelly of society which is a real thing that uh, Oscar Wilde did he he fell into various different male prostitution rings in his lifetime and he seems to have said that the the thrill of it was that it was forbidden that it was the lower classes he was consorting with and fooling around with it just just a whole nother level of gross that I don't even want to get into because we don't have we don't have time to, to describe how gross uh, the upper classes of history were because they they always gross the rich are always gross there's never there's never been a time when the rich aren't gross so. Sybil Vane is just completely head over heels for Dorian Gray, but eventually as he's becoming more and more jaded to the world as a result of Lord Henry's poisonous words and a mysterious book that he gives him, some kind of weird, like, uh, pornography book or erotica book or something that's, like, um, deeply affects him, like, scars or traumatizes him in some way. It's like if he went on, like pornhub or something after having been a mormon he just his brain explodes he loses his mind um and he his his original identity is kind of this innocent um basically well-meaning but like scarily attractive young man falls apart into more of a very attractive young man who doesn't value other people's lives um and is only interested in his own pleasures uh so he breaks up with sybil vane and uh it's a big it's a big mess it's a lot of drama it's very uh very loud and there's lots of shouting and crying and weeping and sadness and drama. Um, and you get the uh, the kind of impression that this is kind of what these rich folks do to amuse themselves is to like crush the feelings of others to get that kind of rush of control. Um, but it backfires severely because instead of like the, the sort of, you know, Wuthering Heights, uh, Pride and Prejudice, like steamy back and forth romance, uh, will they, won't they, Sybil Vane kills herself. She takes poison, I believe, strychnine and kills herself. And the reactions of the characters to this are nothing short of terrifying. Like, this is kind of where the story turns around from like, oh, this is a slightly dull period piece about, you know, um, a, a slightly cultish couple of of rich rich buffoons in, in England and transforms into basically a murder mystery <laughs> because it's clear that Dorian Gray's actions directly affected uh, Sybil Vane. It's clear that he drove her to suicide, much like the recent case in the news where the text messages drove that poor guy to to. To kill himself and this is the kind of thing where like you see the types of people that do this like for instance dorian gray and your sympathy for them is immediately revoked like at this point um, like there's a line that says cruelty had he been cruel it was the girl's fault not his he had dreamed of her as a great artist had given his love to her because he had thought her great then she had disappointed him she had been shallow and unworthy and it's like oh my God. There's a lot of uh, narration like this that's just, it It makes your skin crawl because um, Oscar Wilde was in that unique position where he was kind of in that upper echelon of society at the time. He was kind of riding high so he could experience this type of thing himself. And I kind of feel like it might've been taken from personal experience. So it's, it's just very callous. Um, it's very, very rough to read uh, because the misogyny of it and like the the just general inhumanity is it it escalates very quickly. Um, so basically, he is upset, he is sad, but Lord Henry manages to convince him that it's not his fault. It, he manages to convince Dorian Gray that like the girl did this to herself, it's not something that he did. Uh, this is something that he should let go. He should forget about it. And uh, the eeriest thing is that Lord Henry is completely, like, he seems kind of bored with the whole situation. He uses the opportunity to make some very unflattering comments about women, um, which are just really, 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 really odd um, and really unsettling. Uh, He says, I assure you, Dorian, that not one of the women I have known would have done for me what Sybil Vane did for you, i.e. kill herself. (laughs) So... There's a lot of back and forth about this. Um, eventually, Dorian is left alone to sort of ponder the basically the murder he's committed, the the, the manslaughter, indirect manslaughter he's committed. and uh, But he gets away with it. He gets away with it scot-free because uh, it was suicide and no one can really prove because no one was there to see the argument that they had. No one can really prove that it was his fault. So he kind of just walks. And it's at this point where he starts to feel like his charmed life is is going a little far. Like it feels a little unnatural to him. Um, so very quickly we, we run into Dorian's like messed up life and he starts to get a little, uh, rougher around the edges. And one thing he notices when he looks back at his portrait that Basil made for him is that the portrait has become a little meaner looking. It's become a little crueler. Like there's a, a curl about the lips and a sinister quality to the eyes. Like his, his youthful glory is still there, but the, the portrait itself, the picture seems a little more, um. Vicious in nature, uh, and this is, of course, by now you've sort of guessed based on like the trope of like, oh, it's a cursed painting. Like, yeah, the the bad things he did, do, he does show up in the painting. That's that's the gimmick. The bad things that Dorian Gray does are reflected in the art that Basil created him, which for him, which is kind of like a, a strange magical connection he has to the painting, uh, which is never explained. It's it's implied it might be a curse by God, it might be a you know a gift from the devil or something. You know, we never really learn how it actually happened. It's just kind of like the one magical fact of this world that uh, Oscar Wilde produces. Uh, and he's pretty good at creating this world. It, other than the boring drawing room scenes where the dialogue and the wittiness goes back and forth and you have lots of tittering and upper-class ladies being like scandalized by implications spoken by well-meaning men. It, it's all its all very boring and, and, and disinteresting. But the the parts where Oscar Wilde delves more into prose are quite brilliant. For example, as um, as Dorian Gray pushes more and more into, into the shadows of uh, England's underground um, underground uh, pleasures, he it says he grew more and more enamored of his own beauty, more and more interested in the corruption of his own soul. He would examine with minute care and sometimes with a monstrous and terrible delight, the hideous lines that seared the wrinkling forehead, this is talking about the, the painting, or crawled around the heavy sensual mouth. Wondering sometimes which were the more horrible, the signs of sin or the signs of age, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's messed up. This is so. This is a weird situation where another writer, like we were talking about in Fahrenheit Four Fifty One, has kind of fallen backwards into writing a horror book because when when the uh, when the portrait is described it's a horror show, it's, it's messed up, it's terrifying, it's some carnival freak show level stuff, um, and it's very well done, it's very impressive. It's not a surprise that uh, Oscar Wilde was universally panned for this book, and people were like, this is fucked up, man, why did you write this? And he's like, ha I'm Oscar Wilde, I do whatever I want. Um, but he hadn't even written most of his plays yet then, so he was just being a cocky little shit. Um, Pardon my French. So speaking of which, he actually spoke uh, several languages fluently. He just wrote an entire play in French once. And that was just like what he did that year. That was how he got paid. Interesting life. Um, So... He has this sort of descent into depravity, led by Lord Henry, introduced to strange circles and like underground groups. The more he knew, the more he desired to know. He had mad hungers that grew more ravenous as he fed them. And this is kind of like a reflection on the repression of of his own gay impulses, of his own desire for other men, it seems. And that's not ever openly stated. I don't think there's any moment here in which the... Actual acts of him being with other men is actually depicted. Um, but it's heavily, heavily, heavily implied. Yes, there was to be, as Lord Henry had prophesied, a new hedonism that was to recreate life and to save it from that harsh, uncomely puritanism that is having in our own day its curious revival. Here he's talking about, you know, those darn moral crusaders and their darn soccer mom ways, and why won't they let me just go and have weird satanic orgies in peace? Uh, That's Oscar Wilde inserting commentary into the story. So as the story progresses, um, Lord Henry gets older and older, but Dorian Gray, as almost everyone notices, Does not. And there's um, lots of weird, weird stuff uh, that goes into it. There's a lot of very Baroque language, like very flowery purple language, that's done very well. Um, And of course, being a Victorian novel, there's a heavy dose of racism just kind of dumped right into the middle. Um, It's implied he does a lot of research into like icons and fetishes of like various tribes and groups and like the ancient uh, records of of strange cults and things. Again, it, it gets a little weirdly Lovecraft in the middle. And also, in a Lovecraftian way, the racism comes in. So we're going to skip over that. So after a long, long segment of like mythological and uh, reflective passages in which um, the conclusion basically says Dorian Gray had been poisoned by a book, which is the book that uh, Lord Henry gave him, uh, which has a lot of this weird um, cultish racist and raunchy and orgy stuff in it. Uh, So his mind has become completely corrupted. Says there were moments when he looked on evil simply as a mode through which he could realize his conception of the beautiful. Once you go down like a rabbit hole of like the dopamine loop, and we've talked about dopamine and like the, and technology, yada, yada on the show before. But once you get into sort of, The feedback loop of pleasure without restraint, particularly in fiction, you see a lot of messed up stuff going on, and people seize on that. Like once a piece of media has sort of infected you with its moral, its lack of morality, um, that seems to be in a large part what's what pushes a lot of people's identity over the brink. Like if you read about people being radicalized by online forums, it's the similar thing. Their minds have been poisoned by a book. The idea has has become toxic, has become cancerous, and has jumped from. The online page or the online post or the online forum or meme or whatever into their brain. And that is now a part of their identity. That's what's happened to, um, to Dorian Gray. Uh, so he's slowly descending. Um, the descent gets more and more rapid and more and more uncontrollable as time goes on. Um, from like, at some points he's considering burning the portrait because it gets more and more ugly and hideous, uh, cause it's reflecting his soul and, uh, it's, It's it's fucked up. And eventually, finally, he has to sort of like confess to someone because his mind is sort of reeling because he doesn't know why this is happening to him. Like he doesn't understand how it's happening. Uh, So he calls Basil in uh, finally and says, Basil. Uh, your portrait's magic, bro. Your, your painting's magic. Sorry, bro. And Basil's like, "What do you mean?" And he shows him the portrait, and he explains what's happening to him. Um, and they have a big falling out. They have a big argument because Basil originally wanted to display the painting, um, and uh, and they ha- they have kind of a spat, like a lover's spat, which is Basil thinks that like that Dorian should continue sitting for him, even though this has all happened and Dorian will not. He simply won't. He's like, no, I don't want you to make another weird magical portrait. And Basil's like, well, I didn't mean to. They go back and forth. It's an odd story because the, the grotesquerie of it is frequently broken up by very shallow like arguments or bickering between um, Dorian Gray and other characters that are very, very childish and very, very like upper class 1% like, oh, you don't like me. Why don't you like me? I gave you my money. Why don't you like me? It's, it's very, very obnoxious. Um, once again, not a book you want to page through more like a background audio book kind of kind of a thing uh so eventually um dorian gray starts to lose all sense of like empathy for other people he starts to to forget, you know, how he was as a younger person, because he's just this unchanging avatar of depravity, and he leans into it. Uh, he goes down to like the docks and does weird things down there. Um, he goes down and uh, visits whorehouses and prostitution houses, and um, and the, you start to see the lower levels of society portrayed in a very powerful, very visceral way which again is done from experience it's done from oscar wilde having been to like opium dens and shit and like all this stuff and he represents it pretty accurately. When they are in an opium den at one point in the story, it says, Dorian winced and looked around at the grotesque things that lay in such fantastic postures on the ragged mattresses. The twisted limbs, the gaping mouths fascinated him. He knew in what strange heavens they were suffering because, of course, by now, Dorian Gray is doing a lot of drugs <laughs> and what dull hells were teaching them the secret of some new joy. They were better off than he was. He was prisoned in thought. Memory, like a horrible malady, was eating his soul away. Because guess what, you can't just like sweep someone who's killed themselves over you under a rug like an asshole and never think about it again. Even though like a decade has passed by this time, a decade has passed in Dorian's life at least. Um, And the story gets a little, a little tense as someone runs into Dorian in the dark and like is threatening to kill him. And it turns out. That it's the brother of Sybil Vane who killed herself ages ago, and who's been like tracking Dorian Gray, and and like trying to find him. Like he doesn't know who Dorian Gray is because nobody ever saw the face of Dorian Gray because they didn't date that long before they got engaged. Uh, and there's no photographs or Internet. So he's just been hunting him for years. <laughs> he's been doing a Captain Ahab and like trying to find and murder Dorian Gray. And he does a whole speech of like, oh, yeah, I got you now, you piece of shit. And then Dorian Gray is like, shit, shit, shit. I, they they got me. I'm, I'm fucked. Um, and you, we can see in this moment how much of a coward he is. Like he doesn't even think of like defending himself. He's just too panicked. Um, and consumed by guilt uh, but then he holds up like a candle or a lamp and shows like oh but like i'm young that was like 10 years ago don't you think i would be older by now and the guy says well i guess you have a point and dorian gray is like yeah i'm not dorian gray i'm not the guy you're looking for he does a little jedi mind trick on him basically by by showing him his youthful face and saying like ah, eh, it wasn't me I, i'm you know 20 years old that guy must be ancient by now um, and he gets away with it again. The, the, the brother leaves um, and Dorian Gray just gets away with it again. And uh, there is almost a moment where a prostitute that Dorian's been visiting uh, frequently speaks to James Vane and sort of foreshadows a new chapter in, in the hunt, um, speaks to to Sybil Vane's brother and, and begins this new section in his his quest. Uh, because she says, oh yeah, that guy, he's been coming here for like 15, 20 years and he's never aged a day. They say he has sold himself to the devil for a pretty face, uh, which is pretty much, pretty much what Dorian has done. So James Vane determines to uh, continue hunting him. More scenes with, uh, with Lord Henry going back and forth and doing riddles and bullshit with upper class people and being raunchy, and this is kind of like, these intervals have become kind of a weird background radiation to Dorian Gray's life because he's like, he doesn't have feelings anymore. He's a shell of a person. So it's a weird, shallow kind of veneer over his life that he goes to these dinner parties and things and then spends his night like screwing around and doing drugs and and, uh, generally being a terrible person Um, and suffers nothing for it because like, he can't get hung over. His portrait just gets hung over for him, I don't know. And Dorian Gray just, you know, gets gets his coffee and goes out to uh, not work because he has an estate and has, like, landed money, so. Yeah, Dorian Gray is beginning to have panic attacks because, like, his life has become too hideous a burden for him to bear. The bad things he's done are all, like, ganging up on him. He feels like shit. Uh, Which we don't feel bad for him at all because he is a deeply bad person and like there's no reason that you know That we would ever feel sympathy for this terrible character But it is very interesting to watch him like panic because the net is sort of dragging tight around him The world eventually is gonna notice that he's not getting older. Like he's not dying. He's not getting sick nothing is happening to him Uh, and Clearly, the effects he's had on other people's lives are beginning to ripple back to him. So, God forbid, he actually might be accountable for his bullshit. So, at some point, they're off on a hunting party. This is where the the sociopathy of the rich really gets cut cut and dry for us. Uh, someone is killed by accident with buckshot, like on the field, uh, like in in the field during the, a duck hunt of some sort, during a um, a hound hunt. And uh, Lord Henry is there, of course, because Lord Henry and Dorian are like. Best trash fire buddies together, their best horrible, horrible people friends together. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention speaking of murders, Dorian kills Basil. He fucking murders him. They have that argument in the falling out and the breakup, and then Dorian kind of loses it, grabs a knife and murders Basil in his house and then just stays there like looking at the body for a very long time. It's a very well done passage. Um, I would encourage you to read that passage even if you don't read the rest of the book because the murder itself just some of the nastiest like he got the knife and he stabbed him again and again and again and it felt like stabbing a sack of potatoes like he's just it's gruesome and then he covers up the murder he does that whole like you know shakily having a drink thing over the corpse and he's he he figures out a way to cover up the murder and get rid of it um he talks to a scientist who comes uh and he's like i need you to dissolve this body for me and this guy who he owes debts to from gambling or some such is like fuck no no way and dorian manages to convince him so he gets away with it again, and then flash forward to the uh, the scene where a man is murdered on Dorian's property, um, and it turns out, in another twist of like lucky, lucky, too lucky fortune for Dorian Gray to be Mister um, Vane, to be the the brother of Sybil Vane. He's dead. He's been shot. He was prowling around on the on the property, and uh, he got hit by some stray buckshot, and he died. So he was doing his, like, detective sleuth thing. So uh, Doreen Gray gets away with it again. Hooray! Not hooray. Um, But all of this has sort of, like, contributed to his mental instability. Like, not just murdering someone and being responsible for another one's suicide and then somehow getting away with that. You know, it's it's all kind of collapsing in on him mentally. Like, he, he doesn't have the ability to... Deny his own guilt for much longer. We can see him falling apart. And uh, he it says at one point, for curiosity's sake, he had tried the denial of self. But this murder, was it really to dog him all his life? Was he always to be burdened by his past? Was he really to confess? Never. And then we get the epiphany that he has, and he, he he's this is his internal monologue sort of that Oscar Wilde is spinning out for us very skillfully. There was only one bit of evidence left against him, the picture itself. That was evidence. He would destroy it. Why had he kept it so long? Once it had given him pleasure to watch it changing. Of late he had felt no such pleasure. It had kept him awake at night. So his the picture has suddenly become, in a weird reversal, a manifestation of his guilt uh, and his misery over the the cruelty he's caused to others. Because he's repressed all that. He's kind of buried it under the rug. Lord Henry says it's fine in the lower class of people. You don't need to worry about killing them. They, you know, they're no one. They're nobody's but he doesn't really get away with it in his own mind. Um, it says that the memory of the portrait had marred many moments of joy. It had been like a conscience to him. Yes, it had been conscience. He must destroy it. And he takes the same knife that he stabbed Basil Hallward with, which it says he'd cleaned many times. So he, he goes right up there, and he and in the final uh, ultimate moment of brutality and uh, self-mortification, he shreds the painting with a knife. He destroys it. And then there's a scream from inside the house, and we shift suddenly to the outside perspective of a constable on the walk, and like the servants come out, like we heard, uh, master Master Gray crying out, we, what's going on?" And there's a little Sherlock saying and then they eventually get into the room where the uh, where the portrait was kept. They, when they entered, they found hanging upon the wall a splendid portrait of their master as they had last seen him, and all the wonder of his exquisite youth and beauty. Lying on the floor was a dead man in evening dress with a knife in his heart. He was withered wrinkled and loathsome of visage. It was not until they examined the rings that they recognized who it was." I love it when a story just wraps up like that and you're like, all right, there you go, there's the stinger. Like, yeah, that's Dorian Gray. It's a a very dark delve into the mindset of a very specific type of person in a very specific period. So if you're not into that, maybe give it a miss. Um, But overall, it is a very valuable piece. Like, everyone's recognized that its, its plot is so powerful, it's much more famous than any of his other works, even The Importance of Being Earnest, which is a similar dual personality thing, but much less gory. Um, so that's that's a similar tone that that, that play strikes. The um, book itself is very short. It is very thick. Once again, would not recommend reading straight through, unless you have to for school or something. Uh, and why is this book taught wrong? I mean, I don't think this book is taught very much at all i don't remember reading it i don't remember anyone who was assigned it um, and i don't remember hearing of any curriculums with it in there mostly because it's pretty gross it's a very gross book it's very uh violent there's a lot there's a lot of murder and stuff which doesn't you know dissuade uh the the folks who assign like upton sinclair's the jungle uh but at the same time it's also very like the, the homoerotic power of it is is so strong that it was banned for quite a long time in several places so you can sort of see how that's reverberated down through history and how people are still a little bit wiggity about this book because of the sheer strength of the homoerotic imagery like when basil and uh, dorian first meet there's said to be a vibrating pulsating uh trembling energy beneath between them which which is reflected in the in the dialogue and in the exposition of prose so it's uh it's it's fascinating. It's a very strange ride through Oscar Wilde's very privileged, very powerful, very decadent personality. But it also ends on kind of a, a masochistic note because. Dorian Gray have effectively kills himself. It's not clear whether he stabbed the portrait and that killed him or whether he just stabs himself and thinks he's stabbing the portrait. It's, it's all very muddled, um, but it's a powerful, moral, cautionary tale, almost by accident. I don't think that uh, Oscar Wilde meant it that way, and it is a very powerful piece of literature that uh, stays with us to this day. So uh, that's Dorian Gray. Thanks for listening to our mini-show today. I got a new one coming up in a little while, uh, so just stay tuned for that one. If you want to follow me on, you know, the social media bullshit, which I'm starting to slowly pull away from, I'm not really, like, I'm starting to realize, like, every second that we spend on that crap is time that we could be spending doing our real lives, so I don't really... Anyway, um yeah, you can follow me on uh, Paul C.K. Spears on twitter. Um, you can follow me on instagram as j p space jockey i 'm going to be announcing a new book soon um, oh yeah, new book that 's kind of big. I have a book called uh, Creature Land uh, that hopefully, as of the time this is published, is almost ready for uh to go out. I have the cover ready I have everything ready to go it 's about a uh, a young man who's just graduated from college in a sort of um, collectible creature uh, anime-style world, goes to an, uh, a town where the economy's been ravaged and uh, lives through that and has horrible experiences and kind of in a Dorian Gray way, ends up being a horrible person. So if that sounds interesting to you, and I uh, trust me, there is plenty of gore in that one too, this is kind of my first big horror project. I'm hoping it turns out well. Um, feel free to pick it up. It should be on Amazon, um, physical copy and Kindle within a month or two. Um, still working on getting the kinks, uh, taken care of as far as the production goes uh but it should be up there soon so check it out and thanks again for listening i really appreciate it i've been having a lot of fun with this podcast i didn't expect it to keep going as far as it has but there seems to be some demand for it which makes me really happy so thank you guys um and don't forget to uh leave a a good review on whatever you listen to if you just get it straight for the website feel free to go and do a review on my novel instead even if you haven't read it i don't really care um just need good reviews. (laughs) Thank you. This is Paul C.K. Spears signing off.